but I don't I really don't have any regrets I really don't I've I've lived exactly how I've wanted to I've tried my hardest every single time I didn't win the matches that maybe I should have always won or but I really gave it my all so that for me is enough Hello everybody, welcome back to the Body Serve. I'm Jonathan. And I'm James. We are in the midst of a frantic February. There are tournaments north, south, east, and west. If you thought that there'll be a lull after the Australian Open, which we tend to think every year, and then we're reminded that tennis is just everywhere in the month of February. It's probably one of the months where Tennis is played in the most countries or continents. continents. We're on, you are on four continents on the main tours right now. And there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of logic to, you know, oh, this is the Asian swing or this is the European swing. It's, it's all over the place. I'm fine with that. Folks get mm -hmm. to choose where they want to be. Yeah. I don't think you, it has to be like a, a geographically linear thing, you know? Yeah. And the WTA has this new thing called an excused withdrawal, which is a new rule they instituted this year. Kiki Burton's just took advantage of it because she played in St. Petersburg, won the tournament, was supposed to go to Dubai and play Kim Clijsters, and she was like, you know what? It's a lot. It's just a lot. And I don't want to have to lie about an injury, so I'm taking this withdrawal. What is the relevance? The point is, that makes it easier for players to pick and choose where they're going to play without like feeling forced to fit in all these events. And if you can't play, either make something up take a fine, or play injured. See how that works there? Where like you said something that was completely lucid, but there mm. wasn't any context for it. So well, there, I'm there's here to context. help you. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much. Because I was wondering if you were giving away pieces of the agenda ahead of time, like jumping the gun. Well, it's not a spoiler. Business. We are back from a hiatus. We were in Mexico for a week. I mean, it's been two weeks. I'd hardly right. call that a hiatus. It, did, it felt like a, a hiatus, a vacation. We're back in Toronto, no complaints, because that would be totally obnoxious to complain about that. But it's it's an adjustment. I'm annoyed as hell. I don't know <laughs> where you're going with that. I'm not happy to be back. Right. It's cold AF. Even though this has been one of the milder winters that we've had in Toronto in a while, it's just not cute. Well, we did come back to the coldest days of the winter so far, mm. even though it's been a mild winter. We are beautifully tanned, at least. Mm -hmm. well, what did we miss? We missed a Fed Cup week and a whole lot of tournaments around the world. How about you get us started with the Fed Cup stuff and Miss Williams? Mrs. Mm -hmm. Williams? Mrs. M Ms. With Serena. So Fed Cup had the playoffs uh, February 7th and 8th. This is to get into the final, which this year is happening in April in Budapest. And Fed Cup is undergoing this Davis Cup-like metamorphosis this year. The playoffs, there were a bunch of ties... In the traditional way, five rubbers, four singles, and a doubles match to, to finish it off, if necessary. A few teams already qualified, so they didn't have to play in these playoffs. Last year's finalists, Australia and France, the Czech Republic, and Hungary, which qualified because they were the home team this year. A few notable results. Obviously, if you're in the U.S., a lot of people were talking about this USA versus Latvia tie. Serena Williams, Sonia Kennan, Coco Goff, Bethany Maddox-Sands, Allison Risk. Risk. That was the team. That's a great team. Serena was not in fine form. 
I, I think most of the conversation was about that. She wasn't serving particularly well. She beat Yelena Ostapenko in two tie breaks, only hitting six winners in the entire match. Ostapenko kind of had a better serving day than Serena. More aces, but more double faults as well. And she struggled mightily against Anastasia Sevastova, losing a very long match. Sevastova, who had yet to win a match in 2020 from, I believe, three tournaments. So the Fed Cup would have been her fourth outing. Mm. And she managed to beat a Serena Williams that was not quite there. Kennan won a singles match, lost a singles match, and then she teamed up with Bethany Maddox-Sands to beat Ostapenko and Sevastova in the doubles, deciding. So Kennan beat Sevastova, Serena beat Ostapenko, and then they switch in the reverse singles. And then Ostapenko beats Kennan, and Sevastova beats Serena. And I wonder at that point, see, I figured if they had won the first two singles matches, they would have subbed in Coco, just to like, you know, drum up some interest, give her a shot. And they didn't, which is fine. They went with their top two players, and it didn't go well. No, well, it would have made sense if Sonia had closed out the tie. Mm-hmm. If she had beaten Ostapenko and it was 3 nothing, then you bring Coco in. Right. Instead of Serena playing Sevastova. As it turned out, Maddox Sands and Kennan got the job done in the deciding rubber, which was a doubles match. So the USA moves on. With the loss, that was Serena's first ever Fed Cup singles loss. Which I'm not sure that that was a stat that folks were hanging on to. Like, do people really care about that necessarily? No, I saw a lot of Williams fans didn't know the stat. Mm -hmm. They had just learned it. I had just learned it. Thought that's pretty cool. But uh, it's not one of those, like, never lost in the first round of a major thing. I think it's clear, though, that we are in the stage of Serena's career where we will be seeing, and we have seen, a lot of these first evers in a bad way sure for serena and that's a a natural progression of things for a 38 year old goat things are going to happen that don't normally happen to you because mother time has decided that today you're not going to have your best stuff there was much much consternation and near hysteria on twitter during those matches about serena's form about where she goes from here And I would caution against reading too much into a Fed Cup performance. Clearly, the game wasn't there. But I do wonder how it would compare to a regular tournament performance. Mm, See, the problem for me, and what gives me pause at this point, is we're seeing a repeat of the same problem. Mm. And I feel like it stems from Serena's movement. Not the fitness, not the serve. Not all those other facets of her game. The movement is, at this point, is what dictates how well she plays, I think. Yeah, and I think the knee is actually a big problem that she doesn't really let us into. But it's not getting better. She's had knee problems for her entire career. And I do wonder if that hampers her training. Because she doesn't really seem to be using her legs enough, on the serve especially. We shall see. She will resurface in Indian Wells, presumably. Mm -hmm. That's the next time. My vote would be to skip it personally those slow ass dead ass courts i would say skip it we don't need to, you don't need to be at another trump fundraiser like just distance yourself went back it was cute goodbye i think folks are probably tired of your indian wells hate at this <laughs> oh, point oh really probably well, after this week maybe they finally get it 
No. You know, you can hate something and still enjoy other parts of it. Of course. I'm not telling anyone how to think. Mm-hmm. I'm sharing what I think. Yeah. Uh, okay. I'm just saying, maybe you could expand your Rolodex of things that you go on about. Sure. I'm saying, but practically, even if I liked that tournament, I don't think it's... It's not ideal preparation for the rest of the season for Serena, just because of how the courts play. That's it. She's done well since she's come back to that tournament. Sort of. She hasn't won it, but mm. she's she's played well. <laughs> okay. Back to Fed Cup. Switzerland beats an Andreescu-less Canada. Andreescu is continuing to pull out of tournaments with this knee. The injury concerns are alarming. Canada did not perform badly. So Jill Teichman got two singles wins. Bencic gets one. But here's a shocker. Bencic loses a singles match to 17-year-old Leila Annie Fernandez. Canada has a lot going on in the tennis world right now for a country that hasn't really had anything of note for decades. There's a lot, a lot of promise. And you may think it's limited to Felix and Dennis and Bianca, but we've also got Leila Fernandez, who is going to be pretty good. As well. And we've still got Milos out there and Vashek Pospisil on the comeback trail. I called that one. Yes, did. you did. I you did. did. Russia beats Romania 3-2. Alexandrova gets two wins. I mean, neither team fielded their A-team, but Alexandrova kind of bossed that tie. And surprisingly, Romania is not going to be in the 12-team Fed Cup Finals. Romania, at their best, is one of the very best teams in the world. Mm-hmm. No question. It's possible that Romania needs a break from Fed Cup. Right. A timeout. They've been through a lot. They've done a lot. They've put, put folks through put a lot. Put people through a lot, too. So the finalists are United States, Belarus, Russia, Germany, Spain, Switzerland, Belgium, Slovakia, and then the aforementioned Australia, France, Czech Republic, and Hungary. Uh, Belgium. That's an interesting one. Because mm. when the finals roll around... Does Kim Kleister's play? Is she eligible? Will they pick her? Does she want to play? I am so intrigued by this Kim Kleister's mm-hmm. thing. We'll get to it a little bit later on, but wow. Like, I, I feel palpable excitement about this in a way that I haven't in a while. Not because I'm a huge Kim Kleister's stan. I think it's absolutely fascinating that she's attempting to do this. It for, is. For, what is it, for a third time? To yes. start a career yes, on the yes. WTA for a third time at 36 years old, which at this point is neither here nor there, that's not anything prohibitive. No, the age is not. It's not. The, the time away is alarming. Yeah, like what, eight, nine years at this point? Which, well, just, I think which just shows you how yeah. young she was Yeah, when she retired both times. And I mean, her her first comeback it must be the most successful comeback in tennis. Right? I mean. Like, you win your second major immediately in your second tournament back right away beating williams you get to number one again and now there's no stain of the slamless number one like the first time it it was incredible she's a prodigious talent she's one of the most talented players of the last 25 years i don't think that those four slams necessarily match up to what her full potential no i agree and a few of those against justine enna she really could have and probably should have won but the mental thing was not always there, especially against Justine. I was, a, I'm, as you know, I was a big Kleister's fan, still am. I'm a, just a tiny bit skeptical of the comeback because I'm waiting to see 
the movement, which is such a such an important part of her game. But I'm excited. I think even the people who think it's a bad idea realize that it's newsworthy. I mean, you know, what kind of a position is it to have? What? To think it's a bad idea. Like, well, you know, people like to make fun of her or whatever. But even if you're a detractor, it's impossible to ignore that this is a big deal. I'm so sick of people and their opinions at this point. Like, I don't know how I'm going to get through the next few months, years, the rest of my life. And can you imagine people voluntarily listen to us for our opinions? I get the irony of that. Yeah. I do. But, like, Twitter is a struggle right now. It is. It like, is a you see one thing, you're like, oh, that's interesting. And you look, you scroll down, you see the first comment is always, like, something that makes you want to harm something, somebody, or yourself. Yeah. It's like... It's like, did you really have to fix your fingers to type that? Are you adding anything? The evolution of mankind is... It's a cesspool right now. It, it truly is. It's like, I don't understand where as a species we are going. I don't uh, I don't necessarily agree with your view of history because I think we are generally more humane as a species. Things have always been worse. <laughs> you know like you can always say it doesn't mean that I can't worse. harp on something right now. Uh, yeah. Like I'm having a tough time. There are children starving on the street. Both things are true. Right. Okay. One more quick thing about Fed Cup before we move on. I said they were moving toward a more Davis Cup format for the finals. They are We've got 12 teams, four groups of three. There's a round robin, three uh, three rubbers in each tie. So three matches in each matchup can in the we, countries. Can we change the word rubbers? I know. I feel like there's something else that can be used. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I'll just say, let's just say there are three matches in each tie, two singles, and then finally is the doubles match, which the criticism of Davis Cup is that it takes away the tension and the excitement of... A deciding doubles match and obviously it takes away the home team atmosphere mm-hmm. but here we are fed cup didn't uh they didn't exactly want it but they got it thanks to gerard Piquet. we thought it would be absolutely dire with the davis cup and we didn't and it was hate, we didn't hate it as much as we thought we would you know oh really well i, it, I was basically apathetic i mean you weren't going to pay attention to it regardless fair Fair enough. For me, I didn't hate it as much as I, I mm. thought I would. So I'm going to withhold judgment. As of right now, I think it's asinine. Well, why is the finals of 2020 in the fourth month of the year? First of all, <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? It seems like a little too soon. Anyway, let's go through the winners of the past few weeks when we've been away. A litany of winners. And it's it's only two weeks of tournaments that we that we missed. The first week, WTA was all doing Fed Cup, so there weren't any main draw tournaments. So for the men, they were in Cordoba, Argentina. And your boo. Yes. Your boo. Christian Garin. One of your boos, I should say. Mm-hmm. Garin beats Diego Schwartzman in the final for his third title. He in, won two last year. Yeah, and really his third title in the last 12 months. All on clay so far. In Pune, India. Pune is one of the tournaments that survived because I think Pune used to be in January. Um, before the Australian Open. That's the one that Stan won a bunch of times. Yes. Right? Yeah. Yuri Vesely beat Harasimov, Belarusian. And in Montpellier, that's where most eyes were that week. Gaël Monfils wins Montpellier again. This is the, the French feast. Yes. This tournament. Song has won it a few times. All the Frenchies come out to play. Monfils uh, has won it a few times. It's Gaël's 30th final. And that was his ninth win. 
Spoiler alert, he just got his 10th win this week, two weeks in a row. Monfils has one of the worst finals records in the history of tennis. He does, but a great stat is that he's reached a final every year since 2006. 16 straight years? Am I doing right? That's 15. 15, okay. Mm -hmm. A lot. (laughs) It's a lot. But one of the big stories of that week was the finalist. At least in North America, it was a big story. Vasek Pospisil, who has been all over the map as far as results, but over the past six months has really started to put his career together. Sean Bright in Davis Cup. Sean? Yeah, isn't that the word? Sean? 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 Shined? <laughs> I feel like your Rochesterianism is dragging I that out know, a little bit. I don't know what the past tense of shine is. I don't know which it's is Sean. Okay, fine. It's a little bit faster than Sean. <laughs> Sounds like my brother's name. Yeah. Fine. He um, shined bright like a diamond in Davis Cup, helping Canada get to the finals. He won two consecutive challengers at the end of the year. To be fair to Vashek, he was coming back from injury. He didn't yes. just fall off a cliff with his play. No, no, no. But he's he's worked his way back. But this week, or or last week, he beat Bedene, his countryman Denis Shapovalov, Richard Gasquet, and Goffin to reach the final. Let's circle back to Monsieur Monfils. Okay. Because he has this reputation of being a lightning rod on tour, an inconsistent player, somebody who doesn't dedicate himself to the sport as would befit his talent. And I should hope that the last couple of years at least would have laid that to rest. You know, maybe I've fallen prey to that narrative a little bit. Because he's been out here playing high-level tennis for 15 years. Right. I don't think dedication is the word. Because I think he's always here and he's always fit. But his brain in matches is sometimes a question mark. And his strategy, like, he is playing excellent defense. And he has been for 15 years. But that's not always enough against the best players. In Hua Hin, the Thailand Open, Magdala Net beats Leonie Kung. You'd be forgiven if you have never heard of Miss Kung. I hadn't. I hadn't. She's from Switzerland. She was ranked 283. She beat Wang Chong in the quarterfinals of this tournament. St. Petersburg, Russia had a great draw. A bunch of top players. Kiki Burtons wins her 10th title, just like Mofis did this week. They both defended. Yes. And so Burton's beat Rybakina in the final. Rybakina, who we mentioned during the Australian Open, was one of the most low-key top 30 seeds ever, right? Like, she seems like she's come out of nowhere, but she is cementing her position right now. Some other notable results in St. Petersburg. Alexandrova beat number seven Vekic and number three Kvitova after that great week in Fed Cup. Sakari beats number one Bencic. You had mentioned that Mofis won again this week. That was in Rotterdam. This is a good time of year for him now. Two years in a row. He's had strong, strong Februarys in back-to-back seasons. Yeah. So defends his title here in Rotterdam, Netherlands. We get the first ATP final with two black players in eight years. And really, there haven't been that many in ATP history. Felix Auger-Aliassime gets to his fourth final, his first at the 500 level. Puts together a great week, beating Struff. Uh, Dimitrov. Dimitrov beat Chapovalov, who is uh, not really on a great run at the moment. Felix also beat Berene and Karinio Busta. Still can't get over the finals hump, but, you know, Bjorn Borg lost four finals before winning his first. 
And this is it's not all bad. This is the third or fourth for Felix. This is fourth. Fourth. Yeah. He's getting there. I was surprised to hear that Felix had made his second semifinal of the year because his performance at ATP Cup was so dire that that kind of clouded my my view of him so far right. <laughs> in 2020. But he had made a semifinal, and he's rediscovered some form here. He was one win away, meaning if he had beaten Mofis in the final, he would have supplanted Dennis as the number one Canadian and cracked the top 15 for the first mm-hmm. time. And he has been the number one Canadian before. This is a 19-year-old kid, has been in four finals already, has been the top Canadian, has been top 20. Because his rise didn't happen at Grand Slams really quickly, I think it's easy for us to say, oh, he's been a little disappointing. But this is kind of the normal trajectory for a lot of young players. Just because someone like Tsitsipas won the ATP Finals and has been in the late stages of slams doesn't mean that's normal or to be expected. A lot of times it means you might have a more lengthy career if you're a late bloomer. Felix is also developing physically. I think that's more unique to him than a lot of the other younger guys. Felix doesn't feel like he's, or look like he's quite there yet physically. Right. And so it's his talent that's been carrying him so far. And I presume that he will continue to develop in both ways, talent-wise and physically. And... That's why folks look to him more than, say, necessarily Dennis as the one to really watch from Canada going forward. As for Mr. Shapovalov, his temper has been a problem, to be frank. Yeah, it it's weird, right? Because... Like, have he's... you forgotten that you nearly blinded an umpire because of your temper? I know that most people in tennis have asked us to forget and move on. And we have. We never bring it up anymore. No. But it happened. And when you start to see this stuff over and over from Dennis, his temper is very ugly. And there's been a lot of racket smashing and, and sort of nastiness toward umpires. You'd think somebody who went through, well, who committed by accident such a horrible thing. I like he would you be, changed yeah, the verb there because yes. that was very important. No, because a lot of people frame it as something passive that happened mm-hmm. to Dennis. Like he did it. He didn't intend to do it, but he was the one who swung his racket, hit the ball, and it hit an umpire in the eyeball. Like, that wasn't somebody else. You'd think that somebody who did something like that and lived through the repercussions would be a little more mindful. Somebody who lived through it and was coddled through it, well, to be frank. But still, I, I couldn't imagine the immediate shame in the moment. Mm-hmm. Like, that has to be almost traumatic that you did that to somebody. Like, just don't forget it. If he's forgotten it, go back and watch some tape. And let that guide you going forward. Because this this stuff ain't cute. It isn't it. And uh, you need to be better. Mm-hmm. And I was like almost ready to stand, Dennis. I just need I need him to calm down. That was a surprising twist to start the year for me. <laughs> let me tell you. All right. Buenos Aires. Casper Ruud wins his first title versus uh, Pedro Souza, the Portuguese player. Gabriela Sabatini presented the trophy and had a number of nice moments with Casper Ruud. Very cute. Do you know what? The he legend. Can, he can now say to his father, suck it, daddy, because he's now ranked higher than his daddy ever was. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. His dad, Christian Rood. I don't think he would say that to his father. No, I don't think so. Not in those words. Mm-hmm. The New York Open. So that was a thing that happened. The New York Open. The New York Open, Open has started in Memphis 
and it relocated to Long Island. We used to get those cute guitar trophies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All those guitars that Kane Nishikori won. Nishikori Kane won it a few times. He won like four guitars. But since it's gone to New York, man, it is full of turmoil. I mean, Basura. there has been theatrics. Basura. <laughs> See, I'm, I'm yes, still practicing yes. my Spanish. Basura. There has been empty stadiums. There's been, I mean, Riley Opelka won the tournament last year. There have been a lot of Americans in the later stages who, like, I don't know. If you're in Long Island, like, who is coming out for John Isner, really? The most famous Long Islander is Mariah Carey. And I feel offended that this tournament is besmirching mm. her birthplace. You know, like Billy Joel. Okay. Uh, He's somebody, I guess. John McEnroe. Okay. Listen, this tournament is trash. It's just a weird... To me, it's a very strange time of the calendar. And it's a weird place to put it. Long Island, February, during school. Like, who is going? Uh, it's just weird. And you can see it. I don't think it's been a massive success as far as getting spectators out there. I don't. I don't buy that. It's an indoor tournament. If it were indoor, any number of other places in the world, it would do better. Like there's something particularly stenchful about this tournament. <laughs> there is stenchful. Like it's indoors. You can do day sessions. You can do night sessions. Kids go to school. Parents take them to the night session. Like, what is not adding up yeah, here? Yeah, I know, but, like, you've been through winters in the U.S. Nobody does anything, mm. really. Like, in February, nobody goes anywhere if they don't have to. People are still going to the Raptors games, even know, though they, they the, just won 15 in a row. That's different. Listen. I, I think it's just, it's a really tough draw, especially if you're getting players, like, no disrespect to Opelka, but, like, Opelka, Sock, Isner, a bunch of... Probably players from other countries that people don't know. No, but listen, They're not out there for that. We we got the wild cards for Jack Sock and Ryan Harrison <laughs> to make sure that the seats yeah, were filled. Yeah. And even in New York, they'll root for somebody else against them. But Kyle Edmund wins his third career title, defeating Andreas Seppi. Kyle, this is a feel-good thing for Kyle because he's been through the wilderness. He's uh, He's been through a lot. Like, he's had a few years of just dire results mm. after really breaking out. And he had to endure that cringeworthy, utterly catastrophic F. Mary Kill segment that the New York Open social media team did. Mm-hmm. I mean, kudos to They said, to like, them. Mary Kill, go- Mary Ghost something, swipe right. I don't know. Some, yeah, it was like Mary a Tinder Ghost thing. swipe right. But also, I will give them slight credit for presenting... That format for Kyle to apply to men and women equally without it being presented in a like laughy, jokey, ha ha, gay kind of, right, you right. know, it was that's the one positive I would say. Like, there was there was no gimmick about that part, but it was still trash. Uh, but the men that they gave those weren't the men who were there, god, those were not, the men who it were was there. not a murderer's row. It, I just felt bad for Kyle because he looked mortified. He looked so incredibly uncomfortable. I can't believe that made it to social media. Like somebody watched through that video, edited it, and said, this is good enough to go out <laughs> to the public. It was bad. It was just gross. The guy did not want to do it. A bit of bad news. I'm not sure that we'll get to the TBS mailbag this episode. No, I think we should do that next episode. Dedicate the entire episode to the mailbag. Part of the reason for that is that we have stuff 
from previous agendas that we didn't get to during the Australian Open yeah. swing that uh, we're going to talk about now. The first one being the fact that the WTA implemented coaching from the stands at all WTA premier and international events starting in February. You have thoughts about this because pretty much every article that was written about it used a picture of Serena to sell the article. Mm-hmm. We'll get there. Let's give, we'll provide the facts first and then editorialize. The, the new trial, quote, will allow coaches to coach their player in the form they are currently coaching from the box without getting penalized. Whether it's verbal words of encouragement or a few words when their player is on the same side of the court to any hand signals, such coaching as it takes place now from the box will be allowed. The WTA press release said that over and over again, as it takes place now. They're acknowledging that coaching happens almost universally in tournaments all over the world. Umpires are either not equipped, not capable, or not willing to police it. There's a lot of stuff going on in the court at the same time. Policing coaches is maybe for much of matches too much. Not only is it too much, but more importantly, it can't be enforced uniformly. And that's where the Serena thing comes in, right? That became a huge lightning rod in tennis with that 2018 U.S. Open final because it was enforced that time when we know and we've seen that it's probably not enforced the majority of the time. Right. If you've ever been to a tennis tournament, especially on smaller courts where you can see the coaches better, coaching happens everywhere, constantly, Players are having entire conversations with their coaches during matches in full view of the umpires, and it is rarely called. We witnessed Kamal Murray give Sloane Stevens a complete lecture, a professorial lecture in Cincinnati on the grandstand one year. I mean, she may well have pulled up a chair to listen for how extensive this conversation was. And this is not to single out Kamal and Sloane because so many coaches engage in this. And we only notice that because Kamau is so easily identifiable. Right. How right. many of you watching a tennis match with somebody ranked in the 30s would know who their coach is to begin with? And yeah. <laughs> and also what sort of things constitute coaching, right? Like at what point do words of encouragement veer into coaching? And I think sometimes there's a gray area, but this WTA rule is meant to basically basically acknowledge this unenforceable rule. I think it's meant to diffuse future situations. That's really what right. it is. It's like for it, it, It's almost as if they're saying it's not worth the hassle of what could blow up again. That's exactly what they're saying. I personally am not a fan, and that has turned out to be kind of an unpopular opinion. Yeah, because I, find, I disagree with you. I. It seems that I'm the purist here. I don't like it. I don't like coaching. I'd rather it not happen. I understand the WTA's take. Their take is it is happening and we cannot or will not control it. So let's just allow whatever. But the PR part of this is what I don't like necessarily. I would have rather them say straight up, like we know this is happening outside of the rules and it's something that we cannot properly enforced so we're just going to get rid of it rather than have it be seen or understood by somebody reading this as 
well, like this is already the rule. We're just going to sanction it. You know what I mean? It's kind of murky the way it's written. I don't know. I mean, at least they didn't try to bullshit you and say like, oh, this is going to be amazing. This is going to be so entertaining, like on-court coaching. It's not a promotion. I don't feel like it's a promotional effort saying that this, you know, mid-match coaching is going to be a boon for the sport. I think they're just throwing up their hands and say, we don't know what the hell to do. So Yeah, because they're not telling us why this is happening. Yeah. On-court coaching was framed completely differently when it was rolled out. What I, of course, as you said, what I don't like is that every news outlet has a picture of either Serena or Patrick for their story about this. That's annoying. And I get the news value of that, but Serena is not someone who engages on-court coaching ever when it's an option. She's not somebody who stares at her box after every point, like a lot of these players do, every single point. She's not Simona Halep who's talking to Darren and screaming at him constantly. Just, it's annoying. Yeah, but this would not have happened had the 2018 US Open not happened. Okay. It's not fair to her, but that's why people are doing it. It's so fresh in people's mind's eye. Like, you see this rule change, and you know why it's happening. It's because of Mm. that match. It's also not helped by the fact that Patrick is always providing a quote on this exact issue. So I get it. Our next segment, it's entitled Las Drogas, Mm -hmm. the drugs. There's been a lot of ITF anti-doping activity lately. Robert Farah, the number one doubles player in the world, was suspended, could not play the Australian Open. Farah tested positive for boldenone, a steroid. He was banned provisionally. He was allowed to appeal. He provided just incredibly extensive receipts. And some literal receipts from the grocery store. Literally? R- literally. No, I'm not joking. Oh, I didn't know that part. He... He... Tr- he, he... No, he, he brought the like, a, like a of bill the, of sale. Of the meat that he bought? <laughs> yes. So, at first, he claimed that in Colombia, it is common for meat people... Meat... Uh, meat people? <laughs> meat processors? Meat, um, yeah, the people who make the meat. Butchers, even. <laughs> No, the people who grow the cattle. Farmers. Sure, yeah, cattle farmers, to put these hormones and steroids in meat to promote growth in their cattle. And it seemed like one of these tortellini defenses, right? But Farah got his receipts from the grocery store. The grocery store was able to trace where the beef came from, which farms the beef came from. He was able to say, my mom cooked this many grams of beef, I ingested this many grams of the beef that she cooked. And the ITF was like, you know, that checks out. Well, that That makes sense. That is the the correlation between Tortellini there, Mm -hmm. bringing the mom into it. Yes. If you have a really good story about your mom and cooking, it seems like you can get out of these bans. Because Sarah Arani's was reduced. Faro's was knocked off the books entirely. Like, he's allowed to play now. Like, I'm fine with it. Like, I have no problems. You brought the receipts. It checks out. <laughs> Meanwhile, uh, on the other side of the coin, Abigail Spears, the American doubles player who has been a mixed doubles partner for Robert's partner, Juan Sebastian Cabal. Abigail was sentenced to 22 months away from the sport. This is huge. After testing positive for testosterone and prasterone, she maintains her story that she ingested this in a, quote, packaged supplement. And according to Tamani Carriol, in a tweet that made me scream, 
the supplement was called DHEA25. DHEA. Why why did that make you scream? <laughs> why? Tell us. Because anyone in sports should know that DHEA is a banned substance. It's a synthetic hormone that promotes the growth of testosterone in the body. Everybody knows that if you're an athlete. So Abigail's story that she didn't know what she was taking as if... You know, you hear these stories a lot that I got a vitamin, a multivitamin, and they lied to me about what was in it. That doesn't check out. If the thing was called DHEA, you know you can't take that shit. This is, so DHEA is a naturally occurring hormone in the body. The supplemental version that athletes take acts as a precursor. And a precursor is a substance that the body can turn into hormones, like testosterone. This is also the drug that Bethany Maddox-Sands attempted to get a therapeutic use exemption to take and was denied. So Spears' story was less credible to me. In January, the Telegraph in the UK uh, published a story about doping in tennis and about current coaches who were popped for doping in their playing careers. It talked a lot about the Argentinian tennis machine and how it was really uh, kind of shamed in the early 2000s because a lot of its players tested positive. Mariano Puerta, who was Rafael Nadal's first opponent in a major final, was popped twice. Guillermo Coria, whose uh, ban was overturned. Guillermo Cañas, Juan Ignacio Chela. A lot of Argentinian players were caught. And some of them are current coaches. They related this to Nicolas Jarry, who is Chilean. I made that mistake in a previous episode. He's not from Argentina. But he has an Argentinian coach who had a doping offense in his own playing career. And so the the article was meant to shed light on the fact that tennis has kind of this doping problem. The testing has been sparse and inconsistent, and it's been worse in the past, I think. But I think tennis and the top athletes in tennis are still naive to this. The knee-jerk reaction, Dominic Team was the player interviewed for this story. You know, he said, there's just no way... That, these, that Farah and Jari took these things on purpose. There's no way. Testing is bad. They lie to us. It just comes off as very, very naive. Because there's only so many times that you can test positive for things like stanozolol and ligandrol and say, oh, I didn't know. It was in a multivitamin that was given to me and the doctor lied. Like, what? It doesn't, it doesn't stand up to the test of believability. Do you know what I mean? To your believability. Right. I don't know. I think you just have to look at this logically and say, if you've seen all of these players test positive because they took a prepackaged supplement from a doctor who supposedly lied to them about the contents, maybe you are a little bit careful about the multivitamins that you let into your body. Like steroids don't just land in Centrum Silver. You know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) They just don't. (laughs) But we haven't been hearing... A lot of tennis players engaging with this critically. No. And I think that's where your critique of Dominic Team is coming from. It's it's kind of like, well, like, no. Obviously, no, it, do- it doesn't happen. Why would it happen? Right. Well, there are lots of reasons why it would happen nefariously. Yeah. Why somebody would take a banned substance to try and get a competitive advantage. And with so many tennis players vying for such a small piece of the pie, if you are outside the top 50... Mm-hmm. Which is a life that Dominic Team has not known for many years. Six, seven years. Yeah. Maybe those are not the players that you need to be talking to to get 
to the bottom of this or to get a, a, a better grasp of what is going on in actuality. Right. What do top 10 players know about trying to, to eke out every small advantage that you can get so you can eat or you can f- actually continue your career, that you can hire a coach, that you can extend your career by a few more months maybe? Right. And so you see lower ranked players and less privileged players more vulnerable to people like betters, to coaches who have maybe less sporting ways to win, you know, and they also have, they don't have the privilege of these designer drugs that can be masked in testing, which we've talked about before. Like players who don't have a lot of money may take more rudimentary supplements or, you know, things that seem more like cheating, where the history of sport shows us that a lot of the great athletes in history were also cheating. They just had the the money and the wherewithal to to pass these tests. They they got to be ahead of the game. And we don't know that in tennis, but we've seen it in baseball and in especially in athletics, in track and field. I mentioned lower ranked players being more vulnerable or being targeted by betters. Brazil's Joao Souza, not to be confused with Portugal's Joao Souza, has just been issued a lifetime ban by the Tennis Integrity Unit for match-fixing and also for destroying evidence during part of this investigation. He also received a fine of 200,000 US dollars. You see, there's been a lot of reporting recently about courtsiders and about betters approaching players at challengers and ITF tournaments and futures, and you see so much of this stuff at lower-level tournaments, not as much as Grand Slams, right? And so players who don't have a lot of money, who are struggling to eke out a career and make a living and be able to afford to travel are obviously more susceptible to this sort of influence. Not to excuse it, just that's that's how it is. And so the obvious fix is to make money more accessible to lower ranked players. I was going to make a point about the disparity between, say, golf and the ATP Tour as far as how much the number 100th ranked player will make in a season. And as it turned out, the real story was just how inaccessible tennis statistics are because we (laughs) cannot find it. So we just spent like a good 10 minutes looking for all different search terms. 2019 year-end prize money, uh, 2019 year-end ATP rankings. All you get, all you get is the number ones or the top 10. You can get the top the top prize money earners, but I feel like we're not we're not like stupid, right? Maybe we've, we are. We've done research before in academic settings. Why is it so difficult? And you go to the ATP website, click on the button that says 2019 prize money, and they give you 2020 year to date. The point is, the number 150th ranked golfer on the PGA Tour was Harris English. And he made $628,922. Yeah, suffice it to say, the 150th ranked tennis player is not going to make that money. No. The 200th ranked PGA Tour player, Ben Crane, made $193,000. That's just not happening in tennis. Yeah. And a lot of these golfers have the luxury of, well, they can drive, they can stay on the PGA Tour and just drive through America all year. Mm. Whereas tennis, as you know, is a much more global sport. We've talked about how Taylor Townsend made the decision not to go to Europe for many years and rather and instead play challengers in North America because that was a more financially sound decision for her. Mm. 
tennis is a totally different sport with so many more financial drags on you to make it as a top professional compared to something like golf. And so you see why when they're not making as much money that some of these lower ranked players may fall into the fixing trap. Yeah. Players who will never be vulnerable to those are players like Jack Sunk and Ryan Harrison who've received double digit wildcards in their career. I feel like we haven't roasted Ryan Harrison in a long time. They've, Since we <laughs> both we both have been blocked by Ryan on Twitter, I've never added him ever. So I, he's gone. Is sw- that true? No, somebody snitch tagged. I've never added him before. Well, you no, you know what? Talk shit maybe about him no, maybe I have once. Fair. It's all fair play. I don't blame him for blocking me. I mean, I don't care. I don't know why you're talking about this. I do not care. <laughs> no, but um, but the point is, they've received scores of wild cards. Yes. Scores of handouts that, uh, shall we say, they, they're they in the food stamp line of tennis. Oh, wow. It's like corporate welfare. With their handout, getting these wild cards mm. and money put in their pockets and ranking points in their coffers. When absolutely at this point, definitely Ryan Harrison does not deserve it. All jokes aside, if you're an American player and you show promise, as a young player, you're going to get a whole boatload boatload of wild cards. Donald Young did, Jack Sock did, Ryan Harrison did. They all do. A lot of these players come up quickly and don't need them. But not in American tennis. <laughs> well, not anymore. <laughs> but they used to. No, well, American the American men have some young up-and-coming guys who have promise who deserve these wild cards. Right, but at the time, players like Harrison and Sock, I'm sure it, it seemed like they did deserve them. But it just kept going and yes. going and going. The point is, we are well past that stage. Right. Tamani Carriol tweeted earlier this week that Jack Sock has gotten 56 wildcards and singles in his career. Harrison has gotten 68 singles wildcards. Imagine. Like, imagine how many tournaments Harrison has played in his career. 68 of them have been with the aid of a wildcard. It's crazy. Jack Sock, for context, currently has no ranking. Like, it's not that it's a high ranking. It does not exist. The limit does not exist. When you consider that there's so many players out here struggling to make a living. It shows you that... There's thousands, thousands of tennis players trying to make it on the professional circuit. And we are to believe that Ryan Harrison, at this point in his career, is deserving of a wild card because his career high of just inside or outside the top 40 of the ATP Tour, briefly achieved, will bring butts into the seats of the Long Island Open. That is how dire that tournament is. The New York Open. The New York Open. That's how dire it is. Like, this is what you're... Like, what is the end game here? The whole thing is a clusterfuck for me. I mean, wild cards, as we know, are inherently inequitable. They just are. They're a thing in tennis. But if you are a Grand Slam hosting country, or a country with a lot of money, or a lot of tournaments your players are going to be benefited disproportionately. This is just, like, wild. This is beyond disproportionate. I have no problems with the New York Open giving wild cards to American players. Right, but you have promising players in smaller countries that don't have all these big tournaments they can host who are disadvantaged for no good reason. Okay, Jack Sock is a Grand Slam winner in doubles. He's a a Laver Cup winner. (laughs) No, but listen, I'm not even going to shit on Jack Sock here because he is a top 10 player. 
He's won a Masters tournament. He's a Grand Slam sure, doubles champion. The last singles match he's won was at a tournament that the ATP just decided was a tournament. Why are you at Labor taking Cup. the focus away from Ryan Harrison? I don't understand what you're doing. Because at least Ryan Harrison has a ranking. Does it matter? It does, actually. What is it? It's 392. Okay. But it's better than nothing. <laughs> I, I, I can't even with you right now. <laughs> the point is, these wildcards, I take your point that they're lower-ranked players from other countries who do not have ATP events to give them wildcards, that they suffer. Mm-hmm. That sucks. And they need to abolish the reciprocal wildcard thing at Grand yeah. Slams. But, like, you're looking at further problems, like, down the line, as opposed to what's... At, at hand here, like playing within the system as it currently exists. Within that system, at the New York Open, they are so many young American players that can get those wild cards. Yeah. yeah. That's all I'm saying. Okay. Um, Larry Ellison, who is the CEO of Oracle, a tech company, also the owner of the Indian Wells Tournament, is hosting a fundraiser with Donald Trump. So there's that. Upcoming. Upcoming. Coming your way. A golf fundraiser. To Palm Springs in 2020. The reporting around this is very strange. Because uh, I read an article recently that I tweeted on my personal account that has this anonymous source who is uh, works for Oracle or is close to Larry Ellison professionally and is saying, oh, Ellison is a very liberal Democrat. So don't worry. Like... It, this is weird, but this isn't what he really believes. I'm like, dude, the guy is a billionaire, and he's hosting a golf fundraiser for Donald Trump, and he's donated to the Marco Rubio campaign. Like, do you know who this guy is? Like, are we just supposed to believe you? It's interesting, though, because Oracle is known as a fairly apolitical company internally. Like, the work culture is not politicized like a lot of tech companies are. People generally stay silent, and Larry Ellison has stayed pretty quiet about his political orientation internally at Oracle. So this has surprised a lot of people. A lot of employees of Oracle have actually signed a petition to to ask him to, to change his mind. He did host a fundraiser for Barack Obama in 2015. So he might argue, oh, you know, this is just because he's the president. I'm trying to look out for my and my company's interests. That That could be his position. Hmm. I don't know. It's giving me more ammo. I'll tell you that. Clearly, your angle here is more Indian Wells hate. That's <laughs> no. I mean, that's why you're salivating. To be fair, people who own tournaments in other places have done the exact same thing. I'm not going to name them right now. Is it because we're trying to get credentials at one of those tournaments? No comment. <laughs> Naomi Osaka has announced a Netflix documentary about her. Produced with a LeBron James company un- uninterrupted. There's no release date or title out yet, but we know it's going to be about Naomi's life. There are cameras following her around at the Australian Open. It's going to explore her identity as a multiracial, multicultural person, and uh, it's it'll be timed for like the run up to the Tokyo Games. It's exciting. Like anytime tennis gets this sort of attention. Naomi was just at New York Fashion Week. When a woman tennis player gets this sort of attention in the mainstream press, I like it. The discourse surrounding this bit of news took me out. Mm-hmm. I was flummoxed. I was taken aback. Yeah. By uh, there are a lot of skeptics. 
I mean, not even just skeptics, just wild haters, haters, detractors, questioners. Mm. There's a lot of hateration in this dancery. What ifers? What abouters? What what about? What about a big one? Yeah. Where's Jack Socks documentary? <laughs> no. Uh, no, that was not it. No, it was the, why point, you know why didn't Venus and Serena get this sort of attention when they were younger? I should say Venus Serena, and Serena got immense mainstream attention when they were younger. It was Serena just not all good. Serena was on M- MTV Diary, right? Which was the Netflix of its day. Like the girls, <laughs> <laughs> the girls were superstars at the time. Yeah. Obviously, Naomi has she exists in a completely different media culture. An environment than Serena and Venus Williams does. She's benefited from those two having gone through the fire. Mm-hmm. That's not to be disputed. But the fact that young women of color can exist in a better world than Venus and Serena did is not a tragedy. That has to be seen as a success, right? Like, do we do we need Naomi to suffer as well? To suffer in the same way? Like, is that the point? That young kids can come out and live freely in high school without the same dire situations that kids in the 70s and 80s went through. Isn't that a good thing? Like, I, I think yeah. of it in a similar way. Like For me, it's like people who have paid off all their student loan debt insist that the rest of us be burdened by a hundred grand of student loan debt just because they went through it. Like, that's, that's not an empathetic position. That, that's not how we become better. I want people and, behind me to have it easier. But also, like, this is not even Venus and Serena saying this. This is no. fans of Venus and it's Serena a, saying this. It's weird. And so it's, it's strange. When, in fact, we have a young woman that we do not know the full extent of her star power yet. We can only guess. Perhaps this will give an insight into it. Mm. The fact that she's been targeted for this Netflix documentary leads me to believe that a lot of folks think that there's a lot of money to be made off of her. Right. Money and they think that her story is going to be interesting. That she's, you know, she alluded to the fact that she was working with NBA players last year. She was doing all this, you know, her Nike line, this documentary. She chills with LeBron. She knew Kobe Bryant. Like, she is somebody who is cool, basically. Like, she's been deemed cool by the coolest people in America, right? And so, amidst all this noise, the thing that I set my eyes on was the fact that this is a net win for women's tennis and a net win for tennis. Because you're going to have, you know, you know many people in your life who scroll through Netflix and was like, well, what new documentary is on, <laughs> as folks in your family would say? <laughs> Let me find myself a nice little documentary to watch. No, that's the wrong emphasis, but fine. <laughs> and they're going to stumble upon this documentary, I hope it's well done, of Naomi Osaka and the exposure. It's, it's unfathomable, really. Mm, yeah. And so, so I'm excited. Yeah, I want to see it. And the idea that Naomi might not be playing that well right now and like, oh, well, who wants to watch that? It doesn't have to be a 60 minute documentary culminating with her lifting a grand yeah. big old trophy. I mean, you can't plan these things. No, this is real life. There's a lot 
to see about her life that's interesting, even outside of tennis. Mm-hmm. If it ended with her winning the gold medal, that would be pretty cool. But it's it's really hard to yeah. to fabricate those things in uh, an environment like sports. There are those who are concerned about her well-being, her mm-hmm. emotional well-being. Somebody who has been notoriously shy and not necessarily wanting to accept as much of the spotlight as she's earned. But look, yeah, that's more a- of a legitimate exception. That's like more of an um, empathetic mm-hmm. objection to it, you know. That said, she signed on the dotted line. Right. She's growing up. You talk about all the time about how we cannot paternalize these women on the WTA tour. She's one of the biggest stars. Mm-hmm. And she's growing and evolving into a full-fledged woman and superstar before our, our eyes. This is part of the process. Like, there's no shying away yeah. from it. Yeah. And for me, to see her embrace it in this way, it's it's a positive thing. Mm-hmm. That's the end of all our new stuff. I think we've we've caught up on the past two weeks. Do you want to do a mailbag question, or do you want to save it? I think we should skip it at this point. We yeah, have the opportunity yeah, yeah. to come in... Around an hour. Or un, under an hour, a cute little, like, 58 minutes. We'll see. After, we'll see after what after your editing. editing is like. <laughs> I'm just going to cut out all of you. I already made that joke about you on a previous episode, oh. so that's not really that funny. It did not land the way you intended David. You know, I'm just going to do like a super cut of myself. (laughs) So we are happy to be back. Not happy to be back in Canada, but it feels uh, normal to be back producing podcasts. We're going to be headed to Miami at the end of uh, March. Mm -hmm. It's going to be another busy spring. We'll be in Berlin in June. And for the rest of the year, who knows? We're um, weighing a few options at the moment. But 2020 is looking great. Very optimistic. We are starting to send out postcards this week to everybody who sent their address. So if you have given $50 or more, please send us your address at thebodyserve at gmail.com or on Twitter or through the GoFundMe page. The GoFundMe is done. It's suspended. We're not taking any more money. We greatly appreciate your support. Even if the support was only verbal or in vibes, that counts too. We are going to be doing drawings for the top prizes very soon. As soon as you stop dragging your feet, wouldn't you say? Mm-hmm. More people have to send their addresses, so it, it's yes. equitable. Uh-huh. So do that, please. Send us your addresses. Thank you for listening to episode 186 of The Body Serve. I'm James at Elliot JMR on Twitter. Two L's, two T's. He is Jonathan. Oh, you preempted me. Yeah. I am Jonathan. (laughs) And my Twitter handle is at tennis underscore John. We are conveniently at The Body Serve on Twitter, on Instagram. You can find us. Isn't it great that we didn't have to be like The Body underscore Serve? Yes. Thank God. (laughs) We're on Spotify, Overcast, Apple Podcasts, everywhere you get your podcasts, and on YouTube. Thanks for listening. Till next time. Thank you very much.